Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Dad is... We've had a very unique uh, relationship. We've got to do a lot of stuff as as father and son, but we've also been co-workers. I mean, we worked together on the Rocker B Ranch, and um, we worked together in the prison system, and um, our, our entire lives seem to have been revolved around a gun in some sort of fashion. And, you know, he, we used to hunt all the time growing up, and, and I remember this one time. See, Griffin and, and Riley were with us last night, and we were out hunting, and so Dad tell, has to tell the story of the international pickup and we had these hunting seats on, and we're, we're hunting deer, and I'm driving this four-speed 1973 lime green international pickup that I promise you, you could turn the steering wheel two full revolutions before it would go anywhere. Either way, you could drive that thing down the highway, and after about 10 miles, you were cramped up and sore and had to pull over and take a walk. But anyway, so we're driving along, Dad and, and Griffin, or Griffin, Dad and my little brother, Jason are up in the hunting seats, and we're sitting there, we're driving along. Because see, that's how we hunt in Texas. You just drive around until you see something, you shoot it. Or it's, it's sporty. I mean, I don't know. That's the way we did it. And so here comes this big buck out across that mesquite. And bow, 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 bow. You know how Dad hammers on the roof. Stop, stop, stop. So I stop. And I mean, this side over here is not our land. And I can see the shadow of the gun. And Dad's got it lined up. And just as soon as that deer goes to jump that fence, pow! It was a great shot, but it didn't kill it. And it's, and it's trying to still jump the fence. And so Dad hammers on the deal, and here I go. Whoa! I'm grabbing gears, man. I am smoking them. And Dad is still on top, and he's pounding on the roof, and he's saying, go, go, go! And I'm, I'm going, Dad, I'm going. Well... What I didn't see is there's some things called diversion dikes in Texas. It's a lot of times where they put these oil field uh, pipelines and stuff. I was so concentrating on my doing what my father said because I'm a good kid. <laughs> I do what my elders tell me to do, and he was telling me, go, 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 go. And we hit that diversion dike. <laughs> Woo! We went back. I jumped that pickup 12 feet. That was not the exciting part. The exciting part was when we hit, and I see my dad come over the cab and land on the hood. I'm not joking. If you have never had your father, once you dukes of hazard the international pickup, land on the hood and look you in the eye, smart enough though he could see it coming and so he handed Jason the gun and he made sure Jason was holding on and that's why he flew over the top he took care of Jason first he slid off that truck and he went to chewing me out he's like by gosh don't you listen I said I was doing what you told me to he said I was telling you whoa 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 I said did you ever think that go and whoa sound just alike couldn't you have said stop Good point. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Dad is an excellent shot. He's the only one that I've ever met personally that I knew real well that could outshoot me. But we're going to talk about another Paul, 
Another Paul, uh, his first name was Apostle. His last name was Paul, I think. We're not sure about that, but um, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. And we he gives six fantastic, I mean, no gunfighter. You want to talk about a quick draw with a pow, 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 pow. Six shots in Ephesians chapter 5 on how we are supposed to live. A couple of points to keep in mind as we go through this. Okay? We've been talking about marriage. I titled this sermon series The Snake Bit Religion. And if you were here, or religion, The Snake Bit Marriage. If you were here last week, we talked about Adam and Eve. We're going to continue that, but I want you to keep in mind a couple of things as we go through this. We talked about last week how marriage is holy because it is the visible image of God here on earth. I mean, God made, created man in His image, and to man He gave the strength, the power, the authority, you know, this strength side of God. That's what He gave to man and to the woman side. Now, God is not man or, or woman. A lot of times we say He, but God is spirit. He's not a man or a woman. And to the woman, He gave His beauty. He gave His life-giving aspect of who He is, the, the ability to create life. And He also gave the woman His love. And when you couple those two things together in marriage, what is it? It is the visible image of God. Now that does not make us God. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying when you take God created man and woman in His image, and when you bring those two things together, it's powerful. And the very first thing that Satan ever attacked was the marriage of Adam and Eve. He went after Eve. The snake attacked the first marriage of the Garden of Eden, and he's still doing the same thing today. And, and if you weren't here last week, you can always go to SaveTheCowboy.com, click on Watch Live. It doesn't matter if it we're on live or not. You can go see all the archives. Go back and watch that last week, and, and a lot of this will make more sense. When God exiled Adam and Eve out of the garden for disobeying Him, he said, you know what, you, you can't be here anymore. And he, I mean, he basically said it. There was two trees in the middle of the Garden of Eden. There was the tree of life, and there was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he said, you can eat anything except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, they ate it, and then the Bible says that God was thinking to himself, and he said, well, now if they eat of the tree of life, they'll live forever. So I can't have them living forever in sin, so I'm going to kick them out of the garden, and death came through Adam's mistake. You notice I said Adam's mistake, not Eve's mistake. The devil attacked Eve, but it was Adam's sin that brought sin into the world. When God exiled Adam and Eve out of the garden, there was a couple of consequences. God told the woman, He said, when you leave the garden, this is what happened as a result of sin. The woman would experience pain in childbirth. And in Genesis chapter 3, 16, says the second punishment or consequence of sin was that her desire would be to control her husband, but he would rule over her. And then to the man, he said this. He said, you know what? Here's your two consequences of sin. You will only eat by the sweat of your brow, and no matter how hard he worked, he wouldn't get out of it what he put into it. You're, gonna, you're just going to go out there and you're going to work your tail off and, and you know, it, you're just never going to get what you think out of it, what you put into it. Now, Adam didn't have to do anything. Adam was in paradise. You know, he just walked around eating fruit and whatever. I don't know. But now he had to work for his food. Those were the two things that he gave. In Ephesians, Paul writes a letter telling us how to counteract these curses and have a marriage that is strong, healthy, loving, fruitful, 
farming. Y'all know what I mean by that, right? Brown chicken, brown cow. Everybody wants a farming marriage, right? That was funny. Strong, healthy, loving, fruitful, peaceful. A good example to our kids. I mean, that, 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 Paul outlines in Ephesians chapter 5 how marriage went so wrong in the garden, how it was attacked. He tells us how to put marriage back together in Ephesians chapter 5. The last thing to remember is Ephesians is a letter with a continuous thought process, okay? You have to understand, Paul didn't sit there and go, okay, chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God. He didn't do that. It, this was just a letter written to the Ephesian church. And just like your letters, not like my letters. My letters don't really have any coherent thought, but that's beside the point. Paul's did. I mean, he rolls from one point to another, but it always makes sense. And I always marvel at how I, even, and other Christians will think that, okay, well, this part is this. And then in the very next verse, he jumps to this, and it has no bearing on what he already said. No, there's a continuous thought process, and we'll run into that in just a second. The six shots in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm not, you know I'm not one to just sit up here and, and read the Bible. I know how boring that can be. Not that it's not good, not that it's not helpful, not that it's not useful in instruction and all that stuff, but I, I'm just not going to do it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the first verse of every paragraph in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5. Because Paul is, 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 I mean, he really is, man. He's like a gunfighter and he's firing off six shots to say, man, this is how you need to live. The very first one, I already said it. Paul says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are His dear children. He, I mean, God came to show us the way. He's not going to say, hey, come this way, and you go, all right, and go this way. He wants you to follow Him because He knows the way. He knows the path. I mean, the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through the Son. And if you're not following Him, you're not going to get there. I don't care how nice you are or you know what you've done down at the soup kitchen. The only way to heaven is, is Jesus Christ. And He came here to show us how to live. And Paul is saying that. He says, imitate God therefore in everything you do because you are His dear children. And then he goes on to explain that in the next uh, couple of verses. But then the next paragraph starts out like this in verse 3. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. You know, I mean, I'm just going to read that one more time. And if you don't understand what this means, come talk to me afterwards and, and I'll try to explain it. It says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Okay? That's pretty self-explanatory. So he said, be imitators of God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. The third shot across the bow that Paul makes in Ephesians chapter 5 is in verse 6. This is probably the toughest one for me. Do not be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. In other words, don't be fooled by the talkers. Those that excuse, well, I know God still loves me even though I do this. Oh, you're right. God does love you. He loves all of His kids. He loves everybody, but that doesn't mean that you get to go and do whatever you want to and run hog wild and renegade throughout life. He says, I want every, if you do that, you're hurting yourself, just like Ty said today. 
By not doing what God says to do, you are doing nothing except running into a panel and hurting yourself. No wonder he got shipped off. I don't want y'all to get shipped off. Imitate God, let there be no sexual immorality, and don't be fooled by people that make excuses. There's also the flip side to that. You quit making excuses for what you are doing. There is no excuse. I don't care if it was, well, this happened. We've got to take responsibility for our own actions and everybody else has to take responsibility for their own actions. Nobody's going to be holding my hand whenever I have to stand before the Almighty and answer for the things I've done. And I'm just looking out for all of us here. The fourth shot. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness Instead, expose them. And how do you do that? By letting the light of Christ shine. Just letting, I mean, just going and being imitators and no immorality or greed and, and not making any excuses. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. A couple of things on that if you're like, well, I'm not really sure what pleases the Lord. Let me ask you this. For those of you that have kids, what would please you about them? Honestly, what would please... I mean, if you, if you could say, I want my kids to be this when they grow up. I, I really hope you wouldn't say a doctor or a lawyer. I, mamas don't even let your babies grow up to be cowboys. That's not what I'm talking about. What we want for them is to be fulfilled and happy. God wants the same thing, but He says it's a tough road. But that's what He wants for us. And in Romans 12, 1 and 12, 2, He says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice every day. This is your pure and spiritual act of worship. In James 1.27, he says, The religion that God calls perfect and pure is this, that you take care of widows and orphans and do not allow yourself to be polluted by this world. You want to know what pleases God? Living sacrifice, take care of orphans and widows, don't let yourself be polluted by this world. I mean, Paul is, is like a gunfighter with a showdown with the devil. And I think that every single one of us, these bullets are hitting a part of us because we've all been there. We don't imitate God. We have let sexual uh, immorality, impurity, and greed, we have let that into our lives. We have been fooled by those who have excused their sin, and we've made excuses for our own sins. Cut that out. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And, and you know what's sad? And I'm just talking about me, because I bet none of y'all do this, but most of the time, my initial reaction is I carefully determine what pleases Kevin, because that's my nature. By nature, I do that, man, in any situation, and I hate it, and I'm trying to get better about it, and my wife wants me to get better about it, but in any situation, I look at, the very first thing that enters my mind is, how is this going to affect me? Is this going to make my life more difficult? And that's not, that's not what we should do. We should look at what, we should carefully determine what pleases the Lord, not what pleases ourselves. The fifth shot. How about this? Be careful how you live. You know, I mean, people say that the Bible is really hard to understand. I find that to be one of those excuses that we use so that we don't have to read it, so we don't have to do what it says. Because... The Bible says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but those who are wise. I'm sorry, but that doesn't take a PhD to understand that verse. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, 
is laying out, and these are just the first verses of these paragraphs of be imitators of God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. So be careful how you live. Then there's the final shot. One last shot, which is probably the key to a happy marriage, but nobody ever remembers it. But what they do remember is the verse right after the sixth shot, and it is probably one of the most used, most abused, yet most important verses in the entire Bible. And I would appreciate prayers for what I'm fixing to say. Last week I left you with this. I said that I had asked over 100 different women from all walks of life, from different races, from different ages, from different socioeconomic backgrounds, from different geographic locations. I had asked 100 people and you know, people like Kelly and these others that I have done their wedding, they know what the question is because I ask them this question before I do any marriage. It's a question that I have asked over 100 women and over 100 times. As a matter of fact, every single time, every woman has answered it exactly the same. There has never been one other word or answer that I've ever got. And that just shows the power of God to Him, uh, for Him to reveal Himself in our lives. What is the question? Here it is. It is a question for y'all women. Women, what would you do if your husband treated you the exact same way as he did on your first date? What would you do if your husband treated you like that every single moment of every single day? What would you do for him? What would you do for your husband if he always put your needs before his? What would you do if every time you were sitting there doing something, no, no matter what it was, if he walked by you, he had to touch you, squeeze your shoulder, lean in, give you a kiss, tell you that he loves you. Just something. He, when he was, when she was in, or when you are in his presence, he wants to touch you and reveal his love. What would you do for that man? Women, what would you do? If your husband looked at you every day with that look that sends butterflies fluttering in your stomach. When you, when you turn around and you catch him looking at you, not a creeper look, okay? I'm talking about that nice look. You know what I mean? It's getting a little tense in here. I'm not talking about... I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about that look. You know, like, like when you first saw her and you're like, oh, you know, that look. You know that look that makes you go, hee, hee, hee. What would you do if your husband looked at you like that? What would you do if your husband knew when all you needed was to be held, which did not include advice on how, if you just listened to him, he could fix all your problems? What would you do if your husband lived as an example of how you'd want your son to grow up or as an example of who do you want your daughter to marry? What would you do for that man? What would you do for your husband if he put you before his work, before his play, before his family, and before his friends? What would you do for a husband like that? What would you do 
for your husband, if he led your family down the path of righteousness in love, laughter, and full of life, what would you do, women? What would you do if you knew that your husband would lay down his life for you in an instance? Or better yet, he would defend you no matter what in any situation in any circumstance. What would you do, women, if your husband was like that? What would you do if you knew your husband would not only lay down his life, but his addictions, his wants, his needs, and put your needs before his? What would you do if you knew that all you had to do was ask anything, say anything, and want anything, and he would do everything he could to provide that for you? What would you do, women, if your husband got home every day from work, walked in, dropped all the stress, dropped all the problems and exhaustion, and traded them for lifting you up in his arms in the fiercest of hugs and turned slowly in a circle while breathing in every essence of the woman he married. Women, what would you do if you had a man like that? What would you do for a husband that loved you so passionately, so fiercely, so deeply, with such amazing abundance that not even the lies of Satan himself could diminish the brightness of your marriage? What would you do, women, if you had a husband like that? And I think every single one of you have already said internally the word, and that word starts with an A, and it's anything. Over 100 women have said if their husband was like that, they would do anything. And whenever, when it, and it's a little different now because there's so many people. It's in a, when I'm one on one and I ask that question, most of the time they get teary eyed because they can imagine, and it's what they want, it's what they long for. They don't. I mean, granted, the the diamond rings and the big houses and the and the fancy trucks and all the horses, those are nice things, but those are material things. What she needs from you guys is what I talked about right there. And if you can learn to do that, she will do anything by her own admission. Why? Because that's the way God made us to be. That was the plan from the get-go. Here is the most you... I'm, I'm, I'm skipping over the sixth bullet. We'll be back to that bullet in a second. But here is the most used, abused, and some of the most important verses in the Bible. They are the key to a happy marriage. And that is Ephesians 5.22. And in light of the question that I just asked that every single one of you, I pray to God you answered it the exact same way that that's what you want in your lives. Here's Ephesians 5.22. Wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body and the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives submit submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up His life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. He did this to present her to Himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself, no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined in his wife, and the two are united into one. 
This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Here's a summary of Ephesians 22 through 33 that I just read. Husbands, if you will love your wives with the same love that Christ showed us, a willingness to die for them or wash their feet even, they will do anything for you. See, that's what that actually means. It does not mean that husbands get to walk around and tell their wives what to do. As a matter of fact, it means the exact opposite of that. It means, husbands, that you are to be the head of your household and love your wife with the same passion and ferocity that Jesus Christ loved us. That we, he, we are supposed to lead our families and God made it that that is what a man is supposed to do, is to be the strength and the love of the household. He is the king of the castle, but his entire being should be devoted to his queen. That is your job, men. I'm not, you know what? I, I don't even care. Kind of. I don't even care that the Bible says wives submit to your husbands because what that really means is husbands, if you will love your wives like you're supposed to, she will do anything for you. And actually that's what submit is. Hang on to your hats, cowboys. For the first time ever, you can now hear the entire message unedited with every laugh and nugget of wisdom Save the Cowboy has to offer. All you got to do is go to SaveTheCowboy.com and click on podcast right there on the homepage. You can listen right there or subscribe and never have to worry about missing another story. Pull the truck over, rest your horse, or put down that hot shot and do it right now. Go to SaveTheCowboy.com and ride with us every week down that narrow trail. Until then, this is Kevin Weatherby. See you next time. Today's message was brought to you in part by Rod and Brenda Denning at Hitchin Post Hay. Call them for all your hay needs at 303-324-8217. And if you'd like to become one of our radio sponsors, contact us by going to savethecowboy.com and sending us an email or call 303-621-0133. Thanks, pards.